Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck, and you're listening to the Heavy Hole Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Sam Sherrick, today. How you doing, Sam? I'm good. What's up, everyone? Uh, the, the, I, I'm sure all the Heavy Hole listeners have the unfortunate pleasure of uh, having me back. I'm no I'm no Rick or Terrell, yeah, well, I'll tell you that. I, I thought you were going to say you're no Ric Flair. There, I would have agreed with you there. But I'm not. I'm not going to compare friends and bandmates if we're talking about Rick and Terrell, man. You're, you're, yeah, you're, I, I have about 16 world titles to, to rack up before before I'm a uh, Ric Flair status. You got you, Rick and Terrell are three kings, just like the three wise men, just like the Bible. <laughs> three wise men. Yeah. <laughs> one one wise man between the three. No, I'm just playing. Uh, and and Sam, you've been in the gym since the last time you co-hosted the show, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think I, I might have uh, stepped out to use the bathroom, <laughs> grab some water and energy drinks here and there. Uh, I think I might have played a show and had a wrestling match, but besides that, yeah. Well, playing and, playing yeah, a show, playing a show or having a wrestling match is good, like, it's a good excuse to not go to the gym, like, one day, maybe, you know. Yeah, and even then, I feel a little bit guilty, like, I was, I was on the way to my match last Saturday, and, like, we, we were trying to make it work to stop at the Planet Fitness or around the corner from the venue. But logistically, we just couldn't make it work. There, there was just too much going on. True, true. Well, I I know I said I didn't want to compare and contrast you and Rick and Terrell. But I understand you do have some sort of follow-up adjacency to, to when, when Rick was on the program list. Uh. Actually, I did have a follow-up for Terrell. I, I I checked out that Children of the Corn uh, mixtape. Oh, okay. And and th- that that hit me just perfectly. Like I, I was kind of looking for a kind of grimy like New York style uh, hip hop release to, that I haven't heard before. And uh, Terrell dropping that on the episode he was on, it, it just kind of you, you know when you listen to something and it just kind of hits at like the perfect place and time it's like that, that that was that for me you know just like you know late october spooky vibes you know like a nice like nighttime drive out to suffolk that's uh <laughs> that, 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 that's what that did to me driving around pilgrim state uh or um the old uh king's park psychiatric center at night yeah man shout out to tom yeah, exactly from uh tom Meehan from uh, long island metal history metal uh uh, uh history but there, there is something because because we talked about concerts. Um, Terrell and I attended quite a concert at, at, at uh, one point. You know, we we recapped that last night. The, I don't think some of the listeners are going to even believe where they where you caught me, or rather, where I caught you. Well, it, it, is it a matter of catching, or I, I I feel like I it's more like I lured you in. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was like one of those uh, uh, fish good uh, fish good NY on Instagram lures that uh, Justin. Um, of our team is making nowadays. You definitely lured me in there, man. Look, we're gonna spill some beans. We we attended, um, Gatekeeper and Hatebreed last night. I know there was two other bands, right? But we, I was late on them. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, Dying Wish and Body Snatcher. I yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Did you catch yeah. them? No, no comment really. Oh, fair uh, enough. You know, the, the Dying Wish was was all right. It, you know. It's uh kind of like early two thousands like metalcore style stuff. Uh, okay. bo- body snatcher I caught about five seconds of <laughs> before I I had to go outside. Uh, okay, but yeah, I I would say we attended the Hatebreed concert. 
as opposed to the the Hatebreed show. Do you think that's fair to say? That was definitely a concert. It was like I felt like hate. Well, okay, here's the thing. You said something to me like a, like a song or two into Gate Creeper. You were like, "Don't even tell me now. Just save it for the podcast tomorrow." And, and yeah, that's, yeah, that's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you my breakdown, um, just for the listeners of of this Gate Creeper hate breed uh, double billing um, that we saw last night. Uh, uh, allegedly, I may not have been in my right consciousness. We'll get into that later. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a very interesting show. Really cool to see shows here in Huntington, man. I was, t- I'm from Huntington. I grew up in Huntington. It's, it's crazy to see hate breed and the Cavalera brothers and these acts coming through. I hope they keep it up. Yeah, same. But, uh, in the meantime, we, we can at least go catch live there <laughs> in a couple weeks. <laughs> well, here's, here's another thing I said, I, cause machine head and live are both coming. I think I would rather, if I'm going to pay for a concert experience there, cause you know, you're right. You don't go to shows at the paramount. You gotta, you, you know, you, you gotta come up with some dough and, and, and you know how concert. I know that when I was downstairs waiting for you to come through security to scan you in, I overheard a group of, I, I would say middle-aged women coming through and, and, and they said, we have floor seats. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, just, like, I mean, I, I was three years old in nine, 1997 when Satisfaction came out. But still, that that's, like, still kind of, like, the image of Hatebreed I have in my head. So, like, the idea that, that, that it's, like, these, like, Long Island moms going <laughs> to, like, a Hatebreed show saying that we have floor seats is just kind of, like, a weird contrast of styles. Dude, though, though I, I guarantee you at least one of those women was, like, in my high school a year or two older than me wearing, like, Genco jeans and a chain wallet down to her knee and and um whatever else and, and like a earth crisis shirt man oh, uh, yeah. i love it man yeah shout <laughs> shout shout to steph uh <laughs> i haven't seen her in 20 or 30 years and uh shout to karen lanigan shout shout to there were some old old school hardcore girls in, in huntington back in the day man but um uh it was it was interesting yeah i want to get into that later when i when i relate my concert experience cuz it's that it wasn't a show like you don't you you don't go to um the Massapequa VFW hall god bless them over there for what they're doing or St. Vitus god bless them for what they're doing and go yeah i got floor seats to this event you know you kind of know the deal you know yeah you're like i either want to stand by the bar or i want to stand by the stage you know depending on how things go but but i i i get it man um but, you know, another guy who knows a lot about playing concert events, um, perhaps being in different states of consciousness uh, and, and, and all sorts of um, different different things going on, influencing the music. We'll get it. We'll get into all of that, allegedly or not. Maybe uh, Ed Mowry, uh, former bass player and vocalist of Nocturnus, current guitarist, vocalist and lead man of Tiwanaku. Okay, this is Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with Ed Mowry, uh, vocalist and multi-instrumentalist. Uh, most recently, you may know him from his work. Hopefully I say this right. Is it Taiwanaku? 
Uh, Tiwanaku. Tiwanaku. Uh, I respectfully Tiwanaku. The listeners know that I'm uh, I, I'm I'm legendary myself for mispronouncing everyone's names and band names and things yeah. like that on the show. Um, but yeah, uh, I'll do my best. But thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it, Ed. Yeah, thank you, man, for sure. And uh, you know, everybody mispronounces Tiwanaku <laughs> at first. So. It's all good. <laughs> Tiwanaku, Tiwanaku. I'm going to get used to it. All right. And of course, Ed, some of our uh, more old school fans might remember you from your work in Nocturnus uh, back in the day. And I want to get into that and, of course, um, pr- promote uh, what's going on nowadays and all that sort of thing. But we always get into it from uh, your background. So the typical Heavy Hole podcast question is, are you from a musical family, uh, musicians older than yourself and your family, or was there anyone in your upbringing that steered you to hard rock and heavy metal um no not there's well there's i have two cousins uh that uh that that played rock and roll and i had a a grandfather that was a and he sang in church but that's as far as it goes as as far as the uh musical and history in the family goes and i gravitated towards playing guitar uh, around about 12 or 13 years old and uh you know once I got to be about 14, 15, uh, you know, metal was really starting to, you know, starting to come out, you know, a little bit more, um, you know, Metallica was coming out with Ride the Lightning right around the first time I started listening to metal, um, you know, listening to, you know, Black Sabbath and um, the, the Mob Rules with Dio and all of it, Dio's different records and stuff like that. Okay, man. Yeah, and, and- I pretty much, I'm completely self-taught. Um, you know, I've, I learned quite a bit when I was in Nocturnus, I can tell you that much, but, uh, but yeah, as far as, uh, you know, my upbringing with music, it's, it was, um, it was all by choice and, uh, all learned pretty much by ear. Okay, man. And I got it. I, I got to credit quickly the uh, Misery Point Radio YouTube channel who interviewed you um, a while ago uh, as my research. I always credit research. And I know from that that you're originally from the Pacific Northwest uh, of the United States, right? Actually, I'm an Army brat. And I, I started moving around when I was less than one year old. Mm, okay. <laughs> so, uh, and I've, you know, I've, I'm in New Mexico right now. I was in New Mexico around uh, when I was in high school. Um, and after high school, um, was down here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then uh, ended up joining a band. And for some reason, we decided to move to Seattle and, uh, and you know, and do our thing. And that's where my Pacific North, Northwest uh, uh, past comes from, uh, living up there. <laughs> And, um, right after um, the band I was in, sorry, I'm a little under the weather. Um, right after the band I was in, uh, called Fallen Idols, uh, we were in Albuquerque and then moved to Seattle. And uh, we had split up up there, and I moved from Seattle to Tampa after that. And um, I was actually, I'd moved from Seattle to Tampa to uh, uh, was going to jam with a drummer that I'd known from Albuquerque, and um, it ended up that didn't end up working out within the first couple of weeks of arriving. And, uh, um, he pretty much said, Hey, why don't you go try over Nocturnus? This is right up your alley. You know, Nocturnus was looking for a bassist at the time. <laughs> and, uh, he was the one that took me to my first audition. Okay, man. And, um, 
Now, when we talk about Nocturnus, if I got this right, you actually joined after the release of Thresholds, but ended up doing a lot of the touring for that? Yeah, I joined pretty much, I would say, a month after Thresholds or two after Thresholds was uh, was mastered. Um, and um, I went there, like I said, I went there to audition. I uh, had met uh, Chris Anderson, who had done the bass lines on Thresholds, um, you know, prior. And he taught me three songs um, from Thresholds that I went in and, and auditioned with. Plus, I sort of learned BCAD on my own and a little bit of Lake of Fire. And uh, that was uh, that was my, I think, my my foot up on everybody as they went in there already knowing songs. And, uh, you know, it wasn't within a couple of weeks that they'd, uh, they'd locked in on me. And uh, we started booking shows around uh, Tampa and getting ready for that thresholds tour in Europe. Okay. And was that at that point, was that like the, the, I guess you'd say like the biggest experience you had performing live music and, and being in a band. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, before that it was, uh, you know, you know, playing metal in the United States and, you know, get a good show here and there. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, my definite, my first, uh, my first autographs that I ever gave was when I, when I joined Nocturnus. Wow. Okay. And at that point, Nocturnus, I mean, this was, this was uh, what, what, 92? Yeah. So this is the height of that era of death metal that um has a lot has been made of uh the last few years you know looking back nostalgically at that point like what are we talking about in terms of a nocturnus european tour in terms of uh I don't want to get in your pockets but like were you on a tour bus were you were these really large capacity venues like how big a deal was this um the thresholds tour we were on a bus um and you know we pretty much toured for seven and a half weeks all of europe and it was kind of hit a hit or miss for us throughout that tour uh, uh some nights were packed houses and other nights we we played for a minimal amount of people and it, it was it was weird we were right behind an obituary and napalm death tour i think they were like a week or two ahead of us so um and we were on the same the same exact tour they were they had they had previously done right, you know, two weeks before us. And uh, I think that kind of affected our tour a little bit, but, uh, and I wouldn't trade that trade that tour in for nothing though. It was, uh, you know, that's, that's when I, you know, first, you know, got, got a good experience of, of what it's like to tour and, and what it's like to be in a band that's uh, that people know. Okay. And, and as, you know, as a fan, um, you know, and obviously as kind of like what we, what we do here in terms of, uh, you know, we'll call it music journalism of some sort. I, I you know, I want to be objective. And I told you before we had Mike Browning on the podcast about two years ago and, you know, everyone knows, obviously there was a split and, um, he was apparently fired at one point you coming in after the recording of thresholds. Do you recollect there being kind of a, like two different teams within the band already, or kind of a rift in the band already at that point? Um, not, not, not right in the beginning. Um, when, you know, I was, I, it was probably not until we were on tour that I really noticed the rift going, starting to go up in between the guys and, and Mike, um, you know, and it, it wasn't, uh, you know, a month after we got back from the thresholds tour, I got the call to come down to practice and, uh, I was, you know, I, I kind of knew what was going to happen. 
but I didn't realize they were going to do it the day that they did do it. Uh, but yeah, I was there when they, when they did let him go. And, you know, I, before, you know, when I was, when I first got told that that was going to happen, my first thing out of my mouth was, why do you guys want to keep the name Nocturnus? That's Mike Browning's name. Let's change the name and we can put X Nocturnus next to all of our names and immediately everybody's going to know who we are. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I was way after the fact that they'd already trademarked the name. They'd already gone through all that stuff. They were doing that before we even went on tour. So they, were, they had started that process that I'd, I'd found out later. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I was against taking the name and uh you know that but i was shut down right away you know and and i knew right then when they told me all that i knew that was the beginning of the end of that whole band and uh everything was shaky from there on out wow okay and something we did get out of our conversation with mike um this the single that came out that was actually your recording debut with nocturnus after that um, I believe it was the song "Possess the Priest." He 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 did say that that was a song that he had written way back in the Nocturnus history. Did did you do you recollect that? Um, I'm not sure if he wrote the. He must be must be the lyrics, but I think I think Gino Marino was actually the one that wrote the music, most of the music for that song. Oh. And uh, I, I didn't know any of that until way after the fact. You know, those guys kept that kind of stuff from me. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, obviously, the the impression I, I I get from all of my research and as a fan is that you were kind of like the new guy at the point where all this was going down. So I don't say any of this to sensationalize that or try to put you in the middle of it. Um, yeah, but- no, no problem, no problem. Yeah, I mean, it was you know it was definitely strange and like I said, it was on my very first tour um, of Europe, leaving the United States, and uh, you know, within like I said, within a couple of weeks of us being on that tour, I I could tell what was going on you know, without even having to be told what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and here you are, it's like kind of like the, the most um, uh, successful experience you've had as a young musician in terms of touring and, and support and all that very, very awkward spot. I'd imagine. Most definitely. It was definitely strange. And like I said, when I tried to talk them out of using that name uh, and going on with something else, you know, that it, the, the deal had already been done. I was just being told what, what it was, what had happened. So we we know that the the new lineup records that like I said that single that seven inch um, in 1993 and then we don't see the band pop up again for six years until uh, Ethereal Tomb is released on um, that was Season of Mist I believe yeah yeah uh, after we did that uh, EP I mean that was I think that was meant to go to be shopped to labels. And, uh, you know, uh, at the time, Mike Davis was starting to lose interest in doing it completely. I mean, he wasn't even coming to practice. Um, and I, 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 like I said, I, I knew when they told me that this is what was going to happen, that that was the beginning of the end for sure. And, uh, you know, I was just pretty much just biding my time waiting, waiting for that to be, to go down. Um, and then with ethereal tomb, um, I guess Sean and Lou had started working on some music together and they sent me something that you know, was the beginning of, I think, uh, uh, paranormal states and, um, maybe a possible evil. Uh, they were sending me those riffs. That was seven years after the fact. And 
um, you know, I, I knew that, you know, everything that had happened before wasn't cool, but at the same time, you know, this was the most successful thing that I'd ever been in and been a part of. And they asked me to come back and then they asked me to come back as vocalist too, because they all knew I was, uh, you know, I could do the vocals, you know, because I did all the backups for, for Dan on the tour. Right. I was going to ask you about that coming back, not only on bass, but also vocals. So I guess you had experience just doing the death metal vocals in general. You didn't really, that wasn't like a new craft you had to learn for Ethereal Tome? Yeah, no, I, I was already, already doing it. I, I'd actually been doing it in the, the band that I was in in Seattle and Albuquerque, uh, Fallen Idols. I did a lot of the backup vocals in that. And uh, I thought, you know, well, you know, let's let's see what happens but uh you know if you guys want me to sing on this let's uh let's put some demo together and see what it sounds like everybody really liked it so so we went with it and that was my first very first uh time being a full-time vocalist oh okay and now looking back did you guys end up touring to support that or doing live live support for that album at all uh we played march middle Mountdown in jersey and we played a couple of shows around Florida, but we didn't do any big touring or anything like that. And, um, you know, once, you know, we'd done a few shows and, uh, you know, Lou had decided to leave the band. And like I said, I was seeing the writing on the wall the second time uh, with people not showing up for rehearsals, you know, and um, just, you know, that that was pretty much when I decided, you know, I'm gonna, I'm going to start a new band. And I'm going to start looking for new people because I know these guys are going to all either quit or um, or just, you know, disband again. And that's when I started looking for people for Tiwanaku um, and pretty much, you know, started it started off with uh, Chris Binyak, who was our drummer in in Nocturnus at the time um, when we split up, you know, after Ethereal Tomb. Um, and from there on, I, I just pretty much kept on looking for people. Um, you know, <laughs> I ended up uh, going through a lot, quite a bit, quite a few different people, you know, just trying to get, you know, get things going and getting off the ground. But uh, the main reason why it's taken so long for Tiwanaku to come through um, with our first album and, you know, having the right people and everything is um, I've been going through, I, I went through a whole lot of different health problems I had, uh, I've had C3 to T1 in my neck, all caged and replaced, all the discs replaced. I've had L4 to S1, all the caged and the discs replaced. And I've had, I've had a total of 31 knees, I mean, 31 surgeries, 11 knee surgeries and several spine surgeries, um, all the way up to now within the past year and a half, I had to have brain surgery. where they put a deep brain stimulator in my chest. It's a little computer that sends signals up into my head and turns off pain. Um, after all the surgeries that I'd been through, I had developed a thing called CRPS, which is chronic regional pain syndrome, uh, complex regional pain syndrome. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, that's basically your brain sends signals of pain to places in your body when it's not supposed to be doing that. And I actually teamed up with these people at UCSF in 
San Francisco. Um, and you know, they, they put these things in my body and now I'm able to turn it on and it stops my brain from sending the wrong signals to like say my feet or my back or my neck. Um, and it's actually been working really, really good up to the point where I, I think I'm going to be able to tour again. And so we're actually, um, working on, you know, getting team and on the road next year. Right now we're, we're trying to get us booked up, um, through Europe and South America, Mexico, every, everywhere. We, we basically want to tour everywhere. <clears throat> and luckily my doctors have kind of put me back together. I'm kind of like the, you know, the $6 million man minus about, you know, $5.5 million. <laughs> wow. But, uh, yeah, I've had, a, I've had a lot of surgery, a lot of knee surgery. Um, just last month, right before we um, announced our release date for the t album, I got necrotizing fasciitis in my right foot. And that's also called the flesh-eating bacteria. And basically, I went to the doctor and uh, he's you know, went to the foot doctor. He took a look at my foot and he's like, he turned white. He's like, dude, you need to go to the emergency room night right now. Unless I call or unless you want me to call an ambulance for you. And I'm thinking for what? And he, he tells me what's going on. And, um, I rushed the emergency room. They, I, I've never been through emergency room faster in my whole life. I was through the emergency room in five minutes and prepped for surgery in 10. And I ended up losing a toe. And if I would have waited minutes to hours longer, I could have lost my foot completely or my leg. And that stuff also kills you. So if it would have gone maybe even one more day, I, it might have killed me. So, um, talk about an emotional roller coaster, man. Right before the album gets announced, I get out of the hospital and the next day the album gets announced. Yeah, it, was, it was some pretty crazy stuff, man. But uh, luckily, I'm, I'm all healed up. And I'm, you know, I'm relatively good to go and, you know, going to get myself, you know, ready to be able to, uh, you know, um, go out and tour and, and back up this album and, you know, do the things that I wasn't able to do with Nocturnus is, uh, you know, the guys wanted to do recordings, but they didn't want to go out and do tours anymore. And I mean, I, I, that's just, that's that's sacrilege to me. You've got to do both. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Wow, that, there's a lot there, man. I'm sorry for your troubles, but that is that is a very interesting story. I have a, an uncle who has Parkinson's disease, and he was talking about this deep brain stimulation, um, yep. where they 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 put they put some sort of electronic stimulation, like you know, surgically into into your head. I I mean, this is crazy because you said this is all relating to a pain condition that was brought on from having multiple surgeries. Um, yes. is yeah. that did this um, or, or did this the, all? Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. They, uh, they actually have been giving, um, people with Parkinson's, uh, the deep brain stimulators, also people with epilepsy. Um, the trial I'm in right now, it has about six more months on it and then I'll be done with it, but they're running it in tandem with a, a trial for depression and using deep brain stimulators for depression. And then they're finding that it's working really good for that too. Um, I went in the hospital for 10 days and 
they did a brain did a brain surgery on me, put 144 points of electronics in my head, and tested me for 10 days straight. And then I went back in. They took that stuff back out. I got out of the hospital and then went back home after I healed up. And uh, then I went back a month later and a month and a half later, I think it was, and got the permanent, um, you know, deep brain stimulators. And uh, <laughs> it's a crazy thing, man. I It scared the hell out of me when they first started talking to me about it. And um, I had only, I'd just gone online, went to Google and typed in CRPS for that chronic regional pain syndrome and medical trial. And UCSF was the first thing that popped up. And I filled out the application thinking, eh, maybe they'll contact me in a month or so. And they called me four hours later, wanting me in um, in San Francisco right away because I, I matched so well with their trial. <coughs> it's it's uh, quite a quite a crazy thing, man. You'd think, you know, you know, it, it took me a year and a half to decide okay, I need to go get this brain surgery done or, or there's going to be more problems. And I mean, I, I was in so much pain. I couldn't even get out of bed at that point. Um, you know, they basically had to dope me up to get me on the plane, to get me to San Francisco, to get me taken care of with all this. And it, uh, it was a crazy, it, it's a crazy story, man, for sure. And now I'm on the other side of it and, uh, you know, th they're still monitoring me, but, um, they monitor me through a, um, a Microsoft Surface tablet, and they have a, um, a cellular um, chip in it. And I sign into this tablet, and I can I, I uh, send data through the tablet to them in California. It's it's pretty weird, man. I'm a, I'm pretty much a cyborg now that I've got all this electronics in me. <laughs> wow! Wow! Okay, and. <sighs> All right. Did 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 all of this? I mean, all of these surgeries you had to have. Did this somehow originate with like some sort of accident or condition in in the first place? Or, um, I was very very rambunctious young when I was young. I loved adrenaline. I used to uh, do a lot of downhill skiing. Um, I also was a soccer goalie, and I pretty much played goalie at, like a football player. Um, you know. I, I got pulverized on the soccer field a lot and I pulverized myself in the mountain skiing quite a bit. And that, that was pretty much the start of it all, you know, was, was, uh, was beating myself up as a kid and thinking that I was invincible. And, and now after all this, you can hold a guitar and play it and do death metal vocals at the same time. That's impressive to me with your neck and your back. Yeah. There's no more headbanging, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I can still sing and play and play guitar. I'd actually, before I had the neck surgery, completely had lost all feeling in my arms and my hands and fingers. I couldn't play, could barely even play a power chord on guitar. And after the, I, I went to Texas and had these surgeries done on my spine. And uh, I woke up from that neck surgery, rubbed my hands together and could feel them for the first time in probably eight months. And, uh, I just smiled and rolled over and went back to sleep because I knew I was going to be able to play, play guitar again at that point. Wow. Wow. Yeah, man. So I, I'd lost all ability to play music just months, you know, before I had that surgery. That's, that's gotta be really scary as a musician. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I probably could have still, still written music on the computer and, but I mean, I've played guitar pretty much all my life, you know, and, um, and bass and keyboards. <laughs> um, 
you know, just, uh, music is music is pretty much what I, you know, what I do and, um, and what I've fought to do all along through all this stuff. And now that I'm actually, you know, Tiwanaku signed and we have a album coming out November 4th this year, uh, worldwide, it's, uh, it's really surreal because there was at one point where I, I didn't think I was going to be able to do any of this ever again. So this is like a big, this is just a big gift to me yeah, that my doctors gave me. This now this there's a big story to this for the listeners. Some of the listeners wondering, you know, that it's uh, Tiwanaku, right? As, that's yeah. that, that's as close as I'm going to get. Sorry. Um, the listeners might yeah. be wondering this, this word. What does it mean? I did my research and, you know, from what I gathered, this is in Bolivia. It's supposed to be the landing point of the first human beings on Earth, and it's similar in some ways to maybe people might be familiar with Stonehenge. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, Tiwanaku, uh, there's, you know, carbon dating that dates it back a certain length. There's more dating that dates it way back. Um, and, yeah, you're right that uh, the, the rumors are that the first human beings that came to the planet were dropped off at Tiwanaku. And uh, that's that was one of the reasons why um, I think Carl Sagan or possibly one of the ancient aliens guys um, named it Earth Base One. And I figured, well, that's perfect for the first album. You know, you have, you have one in the name for the first album and, you know, Tiwanaku being the first place that humans were ever dropped off on Earth. If that's really that that true, then uh, you know this this all goes together really well like that. <laughs> it, it does. Now, this is something I wanted to ask you. Being like not not to harp on Nocturnus. This is probably the last question, but it, it, I want to see if it relates. The the song you were you were responsible. You were according to the credits on Ethereal Tomb. You were the co lyricist on every song. Um, and the song Search for the Trident references a superior race of giants and the Bay of Pisco, which I did my research. That's in Peru, the, the Paracas Candelabra, which is a prehistoric yes. geoglyph, um, 200 B.C. carbon dating, uh, has to do with uh, an Incan creator god, according to some people. There's a lot. People can look this all up, but that sounds like maybe thematically you've always had an interest in this sort of thing. Yeah, I really have, man. I used to, uh, you know, read books, you know, you know, Chariots of the Gods from Eric Von Daniken. Mm. Um, I used to read uh, Zacharias Sitchin, um, you know, the 12th planet um, to find all information about, you know, things that aren't mainstream. You really got to dig into books back in the day before, you know, before it was even on VHS, I was looking in books trying to find information, you know, the origin of man and, you know, just looking back on archaeology of the world and how old the world is, you know, 4.5 billion years is a long time. <laughs> and, you know, and getting over to the paranormal side of things, you know, too, it's, uh, you know, we can call things paranormal because we don't see them or maybe see a, a little bit of it. But you have to real. We have to realize too that human beings can only see three point five percent of the light spectrum that that is presented to the universe. So you know you could say it's paranormal, but do you really know it's paranormal? It could be just something that human beings can't see, you know. And uh, yeah, just uh, and the whole the whole Tiwanaku 
you know, ambiance of the place um, just really fits with what we're doing. <clears throat> and I understand that you've actually um, contacted people or received messages from people who live in that area or who are descendants of people from that area in reference to the band. And they're enthusiastic that someone's doing a, a project uh, related to this. Yeah, they are definitely. Uh, I've, I, uh, I get, uh, they use WhatsApp. Um, I guess it's a phone app they use in South America quite a bit. And I put it on my phone and uh, we've actually got it to where you can, um, you can call my phone from, from WhatsApp. But um, yeah, I get messages from people in, um, in La Paz, Bolivia, La Cochabamba, Bolivia, and um, even in Peru, people um, write and they say they're, they're descendants of the Tiwanakans. And, um, you know, they, 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 it's really cool. They're not, not, in a, not against us using it whatsoever. And they think that, you know, just like we are, we're respecting, you know, the Tiwanaku Bolivians and all descendants thereof. Um, just, you know, cause that's, that's what it's all surrounded around, you know? Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot there. And now while we're talking about the supernatural, I want to backtrack a little bit because something I heard you say in another interview is that you you had supernatural experiences throughout your childhood growing up, um, yeah. and that you'd experienced we'll just say things that maybe aren't easy to explain. You know, now respectfully, I don't know if you're willing to sh you know how much you're willing to share, but I did want to ask if you might want to get into some of that and if any of that has come to affect um, you know your your art and this album in any way. Absolutely, man. Uh, when I was, I think I was. Uh, three four years old me all my neighbors and all my family were out at two in the morning watching what we were what we could only explain as ufos flying above us um swirling around in the sky making all kinds of crazy you know colors um you know I, my family and i we had talked about it since that happened and you know when i started doing tiwanaku and and you know we're talking about you know you know the, the ufos and things have been coming here and probably have been here the whole time that we've been here and you know um you know back then it was like real hush hush my my i come from a military family and um you know it was like hey you know don't don't talk about that kind of stuff so we didn't talk about it for a long time and then like i said when i first started doing tiwanaku and i was telling my parents about it all they're like well do you remember when you were little and we saw all those things in the sky. And I, I was like, yeah, I definitely do remember all that. Um, I've also experienced, um, you know, I've got, I've got, you know, we haven't, haven't had the um, luxury of seeing them lately, but um, my own home has three entities in it. I've been scratched in my garage uh, by, by this entity that was in this home. And um, when I first moved in, um I'm just standing in the garage talking to my wife and all of a sudden I'm like whoa what what is that and I like, look reach back and I feel I can feel this scratch on my shoulder blade she looks back and she's got you got three big scratches on your shoulder and uh you know I've experienced it that way there's another thing that I experienced the very first uh single we just put up visitor of titan uh visitor from titan sorry um it's a true story about when our, my old guitar player from Tiwanaku, Michael Estes and I were in the mountains of New Mexico driving and uh, 
we drove up, you know, going up through um, uh, native and Pueblo lands. Uh, we were right next to a place called Virgin Mesa, where um, we see this light in the middle of the road, and it's probably a good football field ahead of us. And uh, didn't think anything of it at first. Just thought, no, maybe it's a, you know, a house or something. And uh, as we're getting closer and closer to this thing, it gets keeps starts getting a little bit bigger and bigger. And as we got right up on it, um, it got super big and started shaking like like it was um, going to just explode or something. And then all of a sudden, like four or five lightning bolts shot out from under this thing. As the truck, was, I'm pulling my truck up on this thing with brakes on, not trying not to hit it. And then it shoots up the mountain and out of sight. And I'm sitting there going, Mike, did you did you see that? Am I, am I imagining this? And he didn't say anything. And, and I'm just sitting there looking and thinking. And then I look over at him and his mouth's wide open and he's completely astonished. Couldn't believe what he was seeing. And that's why he wasn't responding to me at all. But that's pretty much what Visitor from Titan is about. Um, and then Ghost War just came out. Um, uh, we have a lyric video for Ghost War that just came out. And it's... Uh, <coughs> It's a, a dream I had of a war between our human reality and the paranormal reality. And that's pretty much what that song's about. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely shaped me and shapes what I write songs about, shapes what, uh, you know, it shapes a lot of things around me, actually. <laughs> Wow. Okay. There, I mean, there's a lot there. I appreciate you sharing all that. I feel like it adds a level of depth to, to the music and to the album. Um, Absolutely. I, I personally, when I was 18 years old, I was on a cross country trip with a friend and we saw a very, what, what, what would be a very typical description of a UFO driving through, through Indiana, driving through um, like farm, farmland uh, yeah. zip across the sky. So I, I do keep a very open mind with all this sort of thing. Um, it's, and, it, and, and I do want the listeners too, uh, because, because this, this album, um, Earth Base One, it's from what I've heard from the two singles, um, and, and in the past from the demos and things that are available from the band, it, it's obviously it's palatable for Nocturnus fans, but you're doing something I think that is also like your own singular vision as well. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the songwriting and how that has evolved over the years and that aspect of the band? Um, when you were in Nocturnus, were there things musically that you wanted to explore that, that you couldn't, that you can kind of do now? Are there ideas that you've always had that you've been able to finally access with this band? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe not the ideas, but I would say definitely um, where you put your instruments in your mix um in you know when you're putting the band together on you know the music together you know mixing and mastering it um i like to be able to hear all the instruments and um that was a nocturnus was more guitar driven band than anything else and everybody knew that and respected it but it, it kind of sucks for the bass player you know what i mean because huh. it was always turn that thing down i want the guitar to be towering over the bass and you know and you know, I'm not even playing bass anymore. Now I'm playing guitar now. And, uh, but you're still going to be able to hear bass in our stuff. <laughs> um, you know, and just, I, I just, you know, the main difference I think is, is the technology for recording, my knowledge of recording 
now. I mean, I'm doing most of our recording other than drums. Um, I pretty much did everything myself. And, uh, you know, just uh, just the way recordings are going to come out, I think we're going to just be a little bit more well-rounded as far as being able to hear everybody in the band. Okay, and and you know, speaking of everybody in the band, I definitely want to get into your current lineup. But there were a few people. Uh, obviously, this band has been an idea for almost twenty years now, give or take. Um, and you've you've had a few different lineups and a few trials you've had to overcome that you described. Um, and we're glad that you're finally at a point now where this is happening. I wanted to ask you quickly. Uh, you did at one point work, and I believe cut a demo with Richard Christie. Um, who people obviously know from death and probably from the Howard Stern show as well. Yeah, he was the first drummer to uh, record with the band. Um, our very first demo, which we're going to likely re-release along with the demo we had Alex Webster on, uh, on bass for a song called Today in Battle. Um, we're going to put all those demos, or both those demos together, and I think maybe put them out as a vinyl or something down the road. Um, but yeah, he, Richard Christie was on the first demo. Um, amazing drummer, man. I mean, the the only other drummer I know now that's even, I mean, re- remotely better is our new drummer, Gabriel Lewandowski. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he's he's a monster drummer. You know, speaking of the lineup, you know, uh, we also have Ryan O'Neill on the keyboards. Um, he's I mean, he could be playing in Vegas. He's that good, you know, and he chooses to play metal, which is great for us because we wanted a full-time keyboard player, you know, and and in order to do this stuff live, um, we would have had to play to a click track. And um, that's, that's, uh, that's easier, easier said than done, but um, it's great to have a full-time keyboard player and uh, we, we don't have to do that. <laughs> I noticed that on this this album, Earth Base One, there is the the mix, the synthesizer mixed into the uh, the keyboards mixed into the general album. It, it's um, it's a little smoother than I think was ever accomplished in Nocturnus, which was obviously recorded decades ago, and they were still getting used to synthesizers and keyboards and extreme metal. But that's one thing that now it's it's a little bit. That's also the thing that seems a little bit more tastefully done is just the mix in general. So I definitely hear what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, <laughs> during our recording, um, we ended up getting um, Sean Valentine. Nickname is Harry. Um, and you can see when you see his picture, you can see why his nickname is Harry. <laughs> um, he's our new shredding guitar player. Um, <clears throat> he's from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, him and I meld really, really well together as far as when we when we just sit and play together. Um, it, re- it reminds me a lot of Mike and Sean from Nocturnus. You know, sometimes when we're sitting there and I I can hear you know because Mike, Sean, and I when we played together, I mean, we, we locked in really, really quickly on new stuff. And the same thing's happening here with, uh, with Harry. And we also have Ian Spencer on bass. Um, Harry and Ian also play in a band called Plague Rider. Um, and Ian's also a drummer. So, um, and he plays drums in Plague Rider. Um, but yeah. and, And then, uh, like I said, we also have Gabriel Lewandowski on drums, master drummer, professional drummer, 
um, you know, he's, we're actually getting ready to re- uh, introduce him with a play drum playthrough video, uh, for the next single we have coming up called swarm. <coughs> it's our shortest song on the record and it's probably our most fastest and it was Gabe's favorite song. So that's why he, uh, he picked <laughs> that song to do. Um, and then, uh, on the album, we had Ryan Herka playing the drums and then we had a guest, his brother, Liam Herka played drums. Um, and it, you know, we ended up getting together with them doing the drums and then, uh, um, Ryan actually has a business in Pittsburgh that right as we were getting ready to start lifting this band off the ground, his business lifted off the ground and thousands of dollars is going in and out the door. And, um, so they, him and his brother both worked the business. So they decided to move on and do their business. And that's when we went out and found Gabriel. And I'd, know, I'd already known Gabriel from when he was in the Equinox. I'd seen him play uh, in Orlando, you know, quite a bit with different bands and stuff. And um, Michael Estes, when he was still alive, um, RIP Mike, um, he was working on trying to get Gabe into Chiwanaku. And at the time I was broken. And that's when um, John Hastel came into the picture with Gabe in resurrection and michael went and played with them and did an album with them and toured europe um i was actually supposed to go out and do that with them at the time but i i just couldn't stand up play bass and sing um but now i can so things are going to (laughs) change and and we wish you the best of luck with that man i you know i love these stories of um i hate hearing what people have to go through but i love it when they can finally get up and do their art again and do their music again um, and one of the things you did have to go through, unfortunately, as you mentioned, was losing your friend, Michael Estes. Um, yeah. and, and quickly, you know, just as I do on the podcast and respectfully, I do like to ask people if they don't mind to maybe just reflect on that person and their music and what they brought to the band um, uh, as an artist. And we also know, you know, listeners of the podcast probably also know Michael Estes was also the longtime guitarist of Acheron of uh, Florida as well. Yeah, he's he played in Asheron off and on, you know, for years. Um, man, you want to talk about one of the most loyal guys I've ever worked with? That was Michael Estes. I mean, once he joined, he was in, and you know, he was, you know, an integral part of the writing. You know, he wrote uh, "Today in Battle" with me, the song that uh, Alex Webster is also on. That uh, that song's going to be on the album, and uh, in tribute to Mike. Um, you know, and, you know, just the, the way Mike would sit down and go through riffs and warm up and just, you know, come up with the craziest arrangements and, uh, you know, him and I worked together so well in the, it reminded me of working with Mike Davis and Sean McNinney too. And, and, you know, that's, that's one thing that, uh, that 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 was really tough was losing Mike, and, and luckily now we've got uh, we've got Harry in, and he's uh, he's definitely stepping up to the plate and and showing that he he belongs just like Mike did. Fair enough, man. I appreciate that. And um, a, a lot of your uh, a lot of the guys that worked on the album or who are part of the band now, um, re- regardless of where they fit in, are from Pittsburgh. No. Yeah. Uh, Ryan O'Neill, our keyboard player, um, Harry, our lead guitar player, and Ian are all from Pittsburgh. Gabriel's from uh, Florida, and I live in New Mexico. So 
we're, we're all going to be getting together and um, getting ourselves ready to go out and tour um, probably near the beginning of the year. Uh, we've got we've got so much on the table right now for for live appearances. Um, we've got a big opportunity in Florida that we're working on. Um, big opportunity um, opening for a bigger band in all of South America for the end of 2023. <clears throat> and we have some European opportunities on the table, but nothing's confirmed quite yet. So I'd love to pop, you know, pump the shows, but they're they're not confirmed. But once they will be, we'll be we'll be announcing it for sure. Hell yeah, man. Um, t- uh, Tiwanaku, right? I said it right again. Uh, Tiwanaku. Tiwanaku. I'm, I'm trying. I'm sorry, bro. I'm not trying to bust your balls. I'm trying. Yeah, uh, but even even uh, it, as long as it's said, I don't, I, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> but fair enough. Is there um, that you that you're familiar with a metal scene uh, in Bolivia to speak of that you might potentially be able to go there one day and perform in the in the country that your band is kind of named after this um, this iconic place? Yes, yes, definitely. We we're in talks with a Peruvian Peruvian promoter, um, and and a Bolivian promoter, and they both want to bring us down for a Latin American tour. Um, and we are also talking to a Chilean promoter that wants to bring us down for a full South American tour. So um, we are definitely going to be getting, going to be getting down there, and there definitely is some a badass scene in Bolivia for for metal. I think all of South America is pretty much killer. <laughs> from what I hear, yeah. From from what I hear, man. Um, yeah, I was recently. I have some family in Costa Rica in Central America, and I recently paid a visit down there, man. It, 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 there's, I know there's uh, in the capital. There's there's a lot of metal bands come through suffocation and obituary, and a lot of striper was there. So they they, yeah. they def a lot of the touring bands are making the circuit for sure, man. And um, I understand metals. You know, from from what I really understand, metal is probably more popular popular anywhere in the world outside of the United States. Yeah, pretty much. You've nailed that on the nose. (laughs) But (laughs) the one thing I did notice is COVID has brought back, um, bringing in more people into live shows in the United States. Um, I've seen uh, Deicide just went out, not just, but Deicide went out about a year ago for like, I think two or three weeks, every single night was sold out. Um, And that was in the U.S. (laughs) Um, you know, there, there's definitely some big shows that bigger shows happen in the U S and unfortunately we can thank COVID-19 for that is I think people realized, you know, this sucks sitting here watching a band on a damn screen. Let's go see mm-hmm. the band. And, uh, that, that really hit home for a lot of people. I think, I think you're, you're right, man. And it's, you know, not to single out deicide. Uh, but when you said that just now, I remembered there was probably I'm, th- I'm thinking 2017 or 18. They did a tour where the, they didn't, it, you know, they just hit a few kind of random locales. They, the closest they got up here to New York was in Philadelphia. Um, yeah. But it was definitely a lower profile tour than what they're doing now, which is yeah. like they're really killing it right now, which all the more power to them, you know. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, I I, I love those first two Deicide albums, man. I mean, they they are they are drained into my soul a hundred percent man well maybe maybe this is a good point man i'm still going to give you the opportunity to plug and promote anything else that i may have not covered um and and get into specifics about the album release and things like that but when you mentioned deicide you got me thinking here uh we always ask you uh when we round out the interview to recommend one older release and one newer release by any bands that you like uh, it could be a demo, an album, it could be metal or otherwise, whatever, just something from back in the 
the day and something a little bit more recent that you really like and want to talk about for a minute? Man, um, I'm a big Carcass fan. And that album, um, Necrotizing the Discanting Insolvia, I, I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> it. It was the one that came out before Heartwork. Um, that album, man, uh, it, it, it's also, you know, I, all those riffs are just so influential on me and the way that band, I, I, I saw Carcass for their first tour, their first album in, in Seattle of all places in front of about 200 people. And, uh, they just killed it, man. Um, so yeah, I, a big Carcass fan from back in the day. Um, the, something I've noticed new lately, um, actually within, I think it was about five or six days ago, the new aborted single came out infinite terror. Okay. That's fucking, that's a crushing song, man. I can't wait to hear that album. Can't wait to hear that album. That drummer is insane. <laughs> that is a band that just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, and within like the, the, the kind the bigger, the bigger, more commercial metal scene, not to, not, not to say that in a bad way or anything, but I just remember the early two thousands when aborted first started out, um, so it's just really nice sometimes to see these bands that put in the hard work and are finally commanding that kind of support. Uh, yeah, I, I see them all over the place. Hell yeah. Yeah. I see them all over the place too. I mean, you, you can't miss that, that, uh, that aborted logo <laughs> and then that drummer just keeps getting better and better and better. Every release. It's, uh, something that we in Tiwanaku really appreciate is, is, is insanely good extreme metal drumming. Um, cause it, you know, some of the Tiwanaku stuff doesn't call for the really, really difficult drumming, but some of it does. And now that we actually have a permanent drummer in the band that can handle all that kind of stuff, we're definitely going to be stepping up our writing and, uh, and, and going along with the, uh, the modern, modern drumming. Uh, and and now speaking of that do you guys have plans for uh, other material i know the album's just out fresh now but i mean uh you mentioned you have a lot of uh, ambitious plans for touring and for performing live what about uh the, is the next record written are you gonna is it is it always gonna be the same subject matter or you do you or would you might potentially branch out to other uh types of lore you know i don't know um the the, the next album is probably about five or six songs are already written um we actually did some pre-production on those songs when we did pre-production on um earth base one um so we actually have five songs pretty much ready to start being recorded and um right now harry and i and gabe and i and ryan actually all of us were working on the new album um we we just definitely want to step it up and you know, make it that much better now that all the right people are in place. And, uh, you know, Harry's got some amazing riffs and killer ideas. Um, and even, even Gabe does with drums. And I was just out in Florida uh, a couple months ago, um, working with Gabe and working him in to the band. And, and he, he, him and I locked in the first night. Um, but yeah, you're definitely going to hear a, a lot more expansion, probably even better recording on the next record. Um, you know, definitely want to keep um, expanding what we do every time we do something. Just make it that much better. <coughs> Fair enough, you know, man. Uh, most likely, um, you know, same same kind of stuff that we're singing about. You know, paranormal. Um, you know, ancient alien stuff. 
Um, you know, there's, there's some other ideas, you know, even conspiracy theory stuff, um, any, anything to do with, uh, the non-mainstream news for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that, man. The news getting me bummed out the last few years, man. That's why, that's why I try yeah. to stick to metal most of the time. Yeah, me too, man. I, I, whenever the news is on, I have to turn it off. It's like, man, just nothing but bullshit. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's crap. Yeah, well, like you said, sometimes you got to stick to those old books. Uh, go to the library, yeah. get, get a Kindle. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Earth or check out uh, Earth Base One, the uh, new album on Unorthodox Emanations is the label, right? Yeah, it's uh, Avant uh, Avant Garde Music's new death metal division, Unorthodox Emanations. Fair, okay, fair enough. Earth Base One is the name of the album. I'm going to mispronounce your band name one more time. Uh, Tiwanaku. There you go. That was it. Okay, I'm I'm good for one out of five. Tiwanaku. Um, <laughs> uh, I appreciate you bearing with me on that, man. I appreciate you sharing everything you did. Um, uh, definitely an interesting conversation, and I, I hope our listeners check out the album and um, maybe go back and even you know the, like the, like you said, you have those demos. You have some stuff available on the uh, you know I, I I caught it on YouTube. The 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 old demos like the stuff with Alex Webster and um, with Richard Christie. Is that available on any other platform you want to plug, or are you cool with people just checking out on YouTube? Um, we're I I sure YouTube's just fine for that stuff. Uh, we're going to re-release it probably within the next couple of years, um, and you know just release like I said, release the demos. Um, you know, like I said, avant-garde music, unorthodox emanations. They're um, you know releasing the album worldwide on November fourth, twenty twenty-two, which is what maybe less than two weeks away now. <laughs> Okay, beautiful, man. Yeah, we're. I believe this episode might be out um, a few days after the album's released. We we try to time them, okay. uh, and, and we try to put them out in a timely fashion. But the the listeners will know that's November the fourth, right? Yes. Yeah. So so the listeners should have every um uh, chance to access this at this point. Listening to it now, uh, Ed Mowry, thank you very much for your time. Any uh, parting words for listeners of your music and listeners of our show? Uh, man, just really excited to get this album out there so everybody can hear what we've been working on for so long. And, you know, definitely look for us to be playing live next year um, in the United States, in Europe and in South America. And we also are going to try to get that album next album out and released by the end of next year, too, if not early 2024. <clears throat> Hell yeah, man. Looking forward to it. Ed. Thank you for your time. Hey, thank you, man. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, well, I'm sure we'll be talking again. Okay, big shout to Ed Mowry. Thank you to him for his time. We hope everyone checks out that new uh, Tiwanaku release. Tiwanaku, I, I'm trying to get it right. Over Guys, I'm from Long Island, New York. I do the best I can. I mean, you're lucky I graduated high school if you knew my life. Uh, Sam, you still with me? You didn't graduate. I'm here. You didn't go, and go, go off and get a college education on me, did you? <clears throat> Uh no. <laughs> <laughs> Neither did not, I. Not, not, not in the, in the last... Uh... 
little bit, no. Yeah, I didn't. I, don't worry. I didn't go off and get an education. I was just interviewing Ed Mowry, man. Uh, thanks to him. But um, we did promise the listeners, uh, speaking of Long Island, that we'd bring it right back home and give you education. Into this. And it was Well, I got an education last night. If we're going to keep it real. I got there. Thank you to you for uh, providing me this ticket to this event. Um, it was a great experience. I'm going to start there. Gate Creeper. Um, respectfully. I'm going to say this. I, I respect them for, for what they, they're entertainers. They have a professional entertainment entity. They have a, a big platform there. Um, there's obviously reverence for classic death metal uh, and very specific albums, maybe. Um, I'm thinking older uh, obituary, maybe Entombed. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Dismember and Entombed, like Wolverine Blues and ma- Maximum Killing Capacity era. I, I think maybe some Sentence, Shadows of the Past. I know you guys referenced mm. that on the okay. the Michael yeah. from Frozen Soul episode. I, 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 w- I was definitely thinking that when I was watching them last night. They, I will say this. This is a conclusion I, I arrived to last night about the band Gate. They are a death metal band. I, 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 I would say that that is fair to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, all kidding aside, I have been reluctant to indulge in their music. Um, I don't, you know, I was, I kind of knew the vibe. I, I, you know, I knew a little bit about the sound, but so, you know, sometimes I just have this inclination to reject things that are already getting pushed and hyped. Plus gate creeper feels like it's a generation or two younger than me. Like I'm the, I'm a, I'm the old guy in the back of the concert, you know, which I was, um, and I'm not saying nothing about that is about gate creeper. That says more about me really. So what I'm, what I'm getting at with gate creeper uh, I, I looked at it like I kind of understood it a little bit more last night. And you know when it all kind of synced into me? They had one song in particular, and he said, this goes out to the ladies. And they and they did it. And it was kind of like a Motley Crue type of beat. You know, it was just like a driving kind of rock. And like, you know, it like was... A doom, ba, doom, ba, something like that. Yeah, and, and I said, like, oh, of course, there, you know, you, when, when you're there, when you have the floor seats... At Paramount, you can look up and there's As like we the, did. Yeah. The, the VIPs in yeah. the balcony, and I saw like all the women started dancing and, and and shaking their hips to it because it was like that kind of like it was a death metal song, but it had that kind of Motley Crue '80s rock energy in a way, and I was like, these guys, I don't know if this was the thought process, but they knew to send that one out to the lady. I'm just like, and then you see other things. They're a professional rock band, like what we saw last night was like a like a festival rock experience but in 2022 that has like the the extreme metal and underground experience has become kind of like funneled right into all that and like and you know what this also hit me too like if we were in Europe like here's the, like all the all these bands like 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 that like in in Europe death metal bands play bigger for bigger audiences and are generally better respected by the entertainment industry i think most people agree on that or have heard that right so, I've at least heard it. I, I've I've never really been myself and experienced it firsthand, but that's yeah, that's what what I've heard. Yeah. So all I'm all I'm getting at with this is like if Gay Creeper was a European band, for them to be as big as they are and 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 entertain the kind of like big commercial audiences they do under the under the um under the impression of being a death metal band wouldn't seem as like off putting 
to some people. I th- like like the fact that they're American kind of made like well, people automatically say, "Oh, they're a metalcore band." Like people people right. love to throw yeah. that in there. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, I think to have more commercial aspirations in a, in a metal market where there's actually commercial metal that's worth speaking of, like, in Europe, like, it's, it's it, you know, like, I, I'm just saying, man, like, I, I kind of see what those guys are doing. And what, and what Hatebreed has done and is doing, uh, doing the more commercial end, the festival end, the Ozfest end of things, but... But coming from the underground death metal and underground hardcore scenes, like, it's a little, it doesn't seem natural, maybe, to you or me, you know, because we spend so much time on one end of things. But I have a respect for it last night, definitely, uh, you know, from, like, a production angle and from, a, you know, like, like those guys could probably teach me a few things about how to run my bands and my projects from a business level. You know, I get it. I saw professionalism there. So that's... Yeah, well... You know, uh I, I know Gate Creeper, they dub themselves as Stadium Death Metal. So it, it's no accident that, uh, you know, you may hear drum beats that remind you of, uh, you know, more uh, like commercial stadium oriented rock or metal bands. But they, they did grind it out in the underground metal scene. I, I, actually, the first time I saw them was in 2015 at a show Tom McCarthy booked with Carcosa. Mm. And, uh, and and that outer heaven was on it too. Uh, annulment, an, another uh, I, I think now defunct Long Island hardcore band. It, it was at a place called the Wood Shop in uh, West yes. Babylon, and there's probably about thirty people there. I went to more of like a um, indie rock punk show there one time to see a friend's band years ago. That was a cool little venue, a little DIY space. Yeah, so I mean, it, it it's definitely crazy to see like coming from there the heights that gate creeper has achieved yeah and uh yeah i i mean like them or not you you can't really call them a metalcore band it, like you know it it is it, it is death metal it's death metal vocals it's you know it's got the hm2 like it's it's very true to the swedish death metal sound it's, it's just kind of packaged for the modern era and you know like it or not they definitely put a whole generation of kids that are you know even younger than me on, onto death metal just from like you know they're, they're getting like the liquid metal exposure they look at the promo pictures they see that that the guys in the band are wearing entombed bolt thrower obituary shirts whatever the case may be and then you know it it, it just kind of keeps it alive for the next generation so uh yeah it's kind of like a rising tide raises all ships it's like you, you don't necessarily have to like Gate Creeper or be the biggest fan of them, but that like a band like that does kind of benefit the the whole scene in in one way or another. And you know, like like, like with certain underground stuff, I feel like people have like a protective uh, thing about it where like they don't want people to listen to it. But at, at the end of the day, do you, do you want this stuff to die out or do you want it to continue on? And I, I think if you wanted to continue on, you know, you do need to put uh, younger kids onto it. And, you know, they, they are going to put their own spin onto things when they, you know, eventually start bands. And, you know, I, I'm not saying I, I like every uh, every new death metal band that comes out. But uh, I, I feel like Gate Creeper is kind of in a similar role to like what like the Black Dahlia murder was doing uh, or, you, you know, I guess still are doing. But, uh, yeah. you know, for like. I, I feel like at least for the past like 10, 15 years, like Black Dahlia was kind of looked at as, you know, kind of like the 
the flag bearer like in the mainstream context for underground death metal because you did you had trevor and like the other guys you know just repping you know more underground bands that you know good you know bands that they're friends with or just bands they grew up with or you know just bands that they like in general yeah 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 man uh you, you said a lot there i i, I definitely like that a rising tide uh, raise, uh raises all ships um <sighs> And I, I didn't want to say this when we were to, well, when we, we, we did our tribute episode to Trevor, rest in peace to Trevor. And we talked a lot. I, t- I talked a little bit about my experience with the Black Dahlia murder, um, you know, being able to open up for a few shows with them on the road at, at one point and just um, having come from a, a gener- like same generation, more or less as those guys in terms of our, our age and and our generation of metal, but their music. And when they blew up was more for a younger generation than mine. You know what I mean? So I kind of got, I got into them kind of backtracking and, you know, gay creeper again, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to necessarily go out and buy every gay creeper. I may at one point, man, I may not, but, um, having seen them last night, I got a better understanding. And I had heard that term stadium death metal, I remember when I think the singer said it one time, and people were giving him shit online or whatever. Um, what's that? What's that guy's name from from Gate Creek? Chase. Chase. Yeah, he's got. He's, I mean, he's got open invitation for uh, anytime if he wants to come on on the show. I would gladly speak to him, man. I'm sure he's got. Um, you know, at this point, it would do more for us than for him, obviously, man. And he's probably got a bunch of people knocking on his door. But my my whole my whole point being, I see that guy get shit. Uh, on social media from time to time. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are very ready to hop on him. A lot of my friends even, uh, uh, me even at certain points in the past, um, to, to crack jokes and, you know, kind of make, make a, a meme out of Gay Creeper. But and I'm, being, I'm trying to be upfront and honest. I definitely respected what they were doing last night. Um, and I could see myself in the future. Say, say if I was in a festival situation and uh, a celebratory festival situation and i had the opportunity i would definitely try to catch them with a few friends and uh maybe a few drinks um again man, if, if the opportunity presented itself uh because it was death metal and it's like and it's, you know i also started thinking to myself well you know it's, it's it gets a little repetitive here and there it's a little you know it's a little sim- simple here and there you know there's they have some sick riffs but you know sometimes you got to get through some parts that are a little um, less complex, and then I said, "Well, you know, go back and listen to some of these fucking albums and demos that everybody apes from the late '80s and early '90s." I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be complex, you know. It's death metal, like that's true. You, yeah, you can't just accuse these guys of being a quote-unquote metalcore band, um, because that's a bad thing to be. You know, that's a whole other thing. Is like I don't even know if you know. I subscribe to calling someone core is an insult, but you can't just call these guys a metalcore band because their songs aren't technical. Cause now we're going to call anything that isn't technical. It's not metal. You know, I, I don't know. They're definitely a death metal band and I could see the stadium death metal thing too. Um, as its own genre as death metal becomes bigger. It's funny you said that because I was too, again, respectfully, I was going to compare them this morning to when I was thinking about it, the scorpions or journey. <laughs> all right <laughs> but i and I, again i'm not trying i'm busting balls a little bit but not really because what i'm saying is though both of those bands took established elements of heavy metal um you could tell that there were things in their music that were maybe pioneered by dio iron maiden judas priest and then kind of taken and made a little bit 
a little bit more, um, little baby made, made a little less melodramatic and a little more poppy. Um, song structures were kind of, you know, boiled down a little bit and, and themes, uh, you know, and lyrical approaches were kind of boiled down a little bit to meet the mass market and the more commercial market. So I'm, I'm not saying that, that gay creeper sounds like journey or the scorpions. I'm saying the same way those bands made some very palatable songs. I do like a lot of journey and, and scorpion songs and really catchy songs, they did so, and they definitely took a lot from, like, established heavy metal bands, you know, and they kind of made okay. a, a radio-friendly hard rock out of some of those, like, uh, guitar techniques and vocal techniques and, like, notice, you know what I mean? Like, when you hear the Scorpions... I see what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when you hear the Scorpions or Journey, you know it's not Iron Maiden, but you can go back and say, well, they were trying to appeal to some of that that audience with it. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's fair to say, and I, I, I don't even think that the guys in Gate Creeper would take offense to the fact that, that you know, it, it, if you said they, they took elements of death metal and made it more palatable, because I think that just all comes back to what the, what being a, a quote-unquote stadium death metal band would be, you know? Like, like I, I, I think they're, they're trying to be that gateway band as opposed to being that, uh, you know an underground band that like has seven people listening to the demo tape and 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 i feel like if, if gay creeper just dropped like a four song demo you know when they first uh you know formed and then never did anything after that i'm sure everyone on the internet would be hyping it up about how it, it could have been like the you know <laughs> the next the you know the band that never was so it's like you, you can't really win with uh with some of these people yeah you're right, man. Yeah, because yeah, what if they just broke up and started a new band? <laughs> they would be like the legendary cult band, you know. You never know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I gotta say, man, and you know, I didn't want to say this at the time because I say this obviously with all due respect to Trevor, uh, rest in peace. But you know, if someone if someone just came to my mind instantly is like, who's gonna be that new big commercial face of death metal? Like you said, uh, like that's accessible to the scene. It would probably be that guy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if someone's gonna um uh kind of kind of step into that role in terms of like the the face of death metal to the more Ozfest and festival market and commercial market gate creeper seems to be doing a, a good job of it you know opening direct support for hate breed and you know another thing is i step back and watch they they just got their crowd game down they like when a bit there's there's bands that can get on stage and play a, a good set of music and there's bands that can get on stage and play a good set of music and work the crowd and they obviously yeah, they, they definitely know. have a presence about them mm -hmm. uh I, I i gotta i definitely gotta shout out their their guitar player eric the dark cowboy the the the, the big guy that was uh yeah on our yeah. right like I, I just feel like the, you know, just, you know, the, like the the band has like the insane headbang and like, like, yeah, like they they just know how to how to get the crowd going. So, it, it's cool to see, and and I'm sure, you know, bands like Cannibal Corpse see, you know, a a band from a generation younger than them coming up, in into the more mainstream metal circles, and I'm sure they appreciate that because they they might not want to be doing it forever. They they, they might be happy that. Uh, a, a newer band is kind of stepping it up trying to get on that level you know 
Yeah, yeah, man. I, you know, well, that's the thing. These type of bands that get a lot of shit from the from the underground and from the gatekeeper community. Shout out to Imprecation. Uh, we just had our, impre- <laughs> our Imprecation episode, and they, well, they, you know, that's their opinion that we offer a platform to everybody. Uh, they they want to gatekeep the scene. They believe that that keeps metal pure in some way, and so we, you know, we allowed them to talk on that. That's you know, it's up to the listeners if they agree or not. I mean, um, I, I I think that there is a healthy amount of gatekeeping. Uh, yeah, I, I I just think that there needs to be like a, a fine line that should be walked with it, and like, like, like I, I'm not saying it, like you, you you shouldn't like shame every like younger kid for getting in into this <laughs> stuff, but but at the same time, I do think there is a little bit of like death metal isn't for everyone, and like it shouldn't be like everyone and their mothers going to a death metal show, but 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 at the same time, you know, if if like a a 17 year old kid you see him going to, to their first show like maybe don't make them feel like <laughs> stupid for going you know because yeah. we, we were all that guy at one point definitely man um yeah I, I think uh i think there's there's room for both ends of it and at the end of the day most people decide which part they want to be in um and good music comes out of both ends so it, it is what it is man with you know the pot the podcast has made me uh, reconsider my own gatekeeping and elitism in terms of um the underground death metal scene, and 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 realize that it was kind of laughable that I, I thought I I had any position to, uh to 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 think that way in the first place, man. Like who am I? But um, but I get it because I still have those instincts, and um, that's maybe why I had avoided Gatekeeper up until getting the opportunity to see them live. Uh, because there's something you know when you get into it from a, from a certain age. Um, or, or, you know, from a certain generation after that newer and younger bands, especially in this climate where everything is bigger with metal and metal's more popular, you, you do have this tendency to be like, no, it was more real when I was 15, you know, but at the same time, you know, it's, yeah, we gotta, we gotta move on. Um, and speaking of moving on, uh, well, I, you know, I, I, the last thing I'll say about that is just, I think there's two there's just two sides to it, like I said, with the gatekeeping and and the uh, the, the the gateway bands, you know, and and somebody, you know, a band like Gatekeeper or whoever these bands were talking about, they definitely have a place, and they've they've obviously gotten to a point where they can be, you know, still respected as a as a heavy metal band, and you know, like you you can't say these guys have like really sold out, sold out, you know, they're they're playing metal. Um, they've been doing the, the same thing since they started. Like, like yeah. it, it, if you listen to their demo, I mean, you, you could say certain releases are better than others. Sure. But uh, like, j- just as, as someone who kind of observed them, you know, first breaking out up until where we're at right now, like it's really, it's all just been HM2 Swedish style death metal. And like, it's always been true to the sound. And it's like, yeah, maybe you can argue these guys come from a hardcore background, but like that's been happening since like the eighties. Like, like, uh, like even entombed were like punk kids. Like, what when they when they were starting nihilist. Like, I, I think like a lot of great death metal came from uh, you know guys that were maybe more on the the punk and hardcore at end of things. I mean, I, like th- things were different between the two scenes as opposed to how they are now. But I I, I feel like people acting like it's a new thing it's it's really not 
Dude, I, I uh, it's, they rode that wave. That entombed wave was big. They struck when it was hot, and they, they're still riding it. They used it, you know, just like Hatebreed rode that Victory Records late 90s metal-influenced hardcore wave, um, you know, and they're still riding it. Bro, I, I, I rode the... Uh, I rode the Gore Guts Death Spell Omega wave for a decade. It is what it is. You know what I mean? I we had some good times. Um, but there's different waves that come and go, man. And now Hatebreed. Think about that original Victory Records run with like Earth Crisis, Buried Alive, who uh, was Strife? Strife was on Yeah, there? Strife, um, Snapcase. Snapcase Integrity. Hate I mean, now Integrity's Integrity's doing pretty big things lately, but who besides Hatebreed has just been consistent like that? I mean, this guy Jamie Josta, again, not someone I would normally really bring up on the show unless I was kind of clowning on something because he's become larger than life. If when you say Jamie Josta, it's like saying Gene Simmons or Ozzy or something. It's like some it's yeah. just like it's like saying this. Or, or like D Snyder even. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because it's like you don't I like not to not to like de- dehumanize them or whatever, but like it's it's just like you kind of like you joke about these type of people because they're not even real to you. They're larger than life. They're you you know they're everywhere, and so so it's like to actually see the guy up close in person in a you know a concert sized club, but you know not like a relatively smaller club where you could really be up close and see him doing his thing, man. After all these years, and to really think back that he was probably what was he doing his thirty years ago? Easy, ninety two. Yeah, yeah. Well. Uh, uh, under the knife was ninety five. Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, almost you know, if not twenty. Yeah, so that'd be like twenty seven years, and then I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head the year that Hatebreed like officially started, but uh, I mean, I, I know he was like a teenager when, when they did start. That's wild, man. I mean, that's the dream. If I could go back and tell myself something when I was in my late teens, early twenties, it would just be start a band and 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 copyright the name and the logo and just never give up on it, no matter how many times you guys switch the lineup, man. Be like, uh, um, you, you know, the band like uh, Master or even you know, shout out to my buddy Chris Basile and Pyrexia, you know, or Chris Prevelis and Eternal Bleeding. You know, sometimes there's situations where one person just Terrence keeps Hobbs even yeah, Terrence Hobbs and suffocation. Sometimes there's a situation where one person has to keep. Waving that flag for years and years and years through different lineups, man. You know what I mean? And not even that Hatebreed had that many lineup changes, but just Jamie Josta owned it and never gave up on it. I mean, he could have easily retired from performing music and probably just done podcasts and interviews and behind-the-scenes stuff or whatever and, you know, um, uh, bought a couple of businesses. I'm sure that guy knows a little bit more about business than me by now. Uh, but I mean, he's you know, definitely a hustler. I, I mean, I, I you know, he's he's still doing the music stuff, but he's all, he's – Selling Josta pasta at the merch table too, so uh, is that for real? Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. It, it's for real. He's coming. He's coming at it from all ends, and I mean, I, I definitely have like a special place for Hatebreed and uh, even Jamie Josta just by himself because, uh, like, I'm of the generation where I kind of grew up watching like the Jamie Josta era of Headbangers Ball. So yeah, that, like, like, like when I was like a 11, 12 year old kid, like just getting into metal, like, like that. That's like one of the platforms that was available to me and and it definitely put me on to you know some bands and, and but more importantly it just put me on the path to where i am now in terms of uh just finding underground stuff and just playing music and whatnot so uh yeah i mean i'll, I'll always respect uh jossa and hatebreed and uh i mean and i mean th- those early hatebreed records like I, i'll still put them on like like whether i'm at the gym whether i'm drinking with friends it's like it's kind of like 
it, it like it's definitely like a soundtrack to a part of my life. Yeah, I I definitely um owned and still own the uh, uh Satisfaction is the Death of Desire CD when it first came out. Uh cuz I've I've talked before on the podcast before about how when I was in high school, I was like pretty much the only metalhead, definitely the only one into death metal and underground stuff. Um, but there was a lot of kids into hardcore and the victory record stuff. And, you know, that was just more popular at the time. And a lot of my friends got me into buried alive, uh, hate breed, uh, bloodlet. There were certain bands that were a little bit more, you know, palatable for a young death metal guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'll always love that hate breed. I really, I guess I kind of lucked out last night too. Cause they played a lot of old material. Oh, their set list was awesome last night. If anybody, it, it, it was, it was really cool. Like, I mean, just hearing like the satisfaction songs was great. And I, I feel like I've heard Jamie Josta like go on record saying like, Oh, we're never going to play those songs again. So like, the, like that alone was great. But then going even further back, taking it to like under the knife, it was just like, like playing, like I didn't think I would hear kill an addict at the paramount. Yeah. Or smash yeah. your enemies. I think they knew, I think because they, they did play, not that I saw them, unfortunately, but uh, they did play a lot of like formative years shows in Long Island back in the day when they were starting out. And, um, I think they knew that they were, they, they wanted to cater to some of that older audience that was there last night. And there was a mainly older audience there. He, he did a cool little shout out of like all the, like, yeah. Old Long Island venues, like talking about sports plus the PWAC. The downtown. Yeah. I, I don't know if he said the downtown, but he said the crazy donkey, and it's like yeah, all the way up to Amityville Music Hall. So it's yeah. like, I I I feel like for for as uh, like, uh, in the mainstream metal sphere as Jamie Josta is, he like does kind of have his like ear to the ground. I I feel like as much as you can for mm-hmm. for for a guy that's you know playing european festivals year-round and stuff like like I, I think he still does try to like keep up with uh what, what what's going on like in, in yeah. the underground and just newer younger bands and whatnot yeah it's 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 interesting man um I, they some of these guys they seem to just have a lot of love for the big commercial players in the industry and still for the underground scene that they came out of too man it's it, you know it's admirable um you know and it's like uh, it's not necessarily from like a, from a music listener perspective. It's not necessarily something I can identify with, but like from the part of from the part of you know not just me, but anyone that should should, should want to network with people in the scene and just generally be like a, a good person, you know, to deal with. And in, in you know, whether you're in a band or you're a show promoter or whoever, you know, that's something to look at too. Is is you know like like again with this podcast, I've there's plenty of people who I've had on this show. Um, who I may not necessarily, you know, listen to their music every day or be a huge fan of their band. I just thought they had a good story to tell and I want to promote, you know, what they're doing on the platform. So it's like you sometimes, you, you know, you got to reach out and, you know, you, you deal with people for other reasons than they put out your favorite album of the year, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to go about it. I, I find myself, uh, you know, th- there's like the, like the cult classic records that I like, love listening to but then like sometimes like a more mainstream band will put out a record and like i I might only listen to it once like i'll listen to it like almost like objectively it's like all right what like i mean not that i listen to like any of the latest machine head albums but like this is just like the first band that like comes to mind it's like what is machine Head doing in 2022 you know what i mean oh yeah Uh, yeah yeah like 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 just just hearing like what what are they trying to like push is like you know the 
current up-to-date state-of-the-art metal sound like what does that sound like and then i'll probably just go back and put on my like infester cd or something like that right, a- right. after the fact but uh i don't know sometimes i, I find that like metal is more fun when you kind of consider all its subgenres as as bad as they may mesh together you know what i mean like it like it might be weird going listening to like a band like slipknot and then go go into like i don't know like demo or monstrosity or something like that but, but then also you kind of realize that, that there's some similarities where you know i mean I, I, I can't really speak for what they're doing now but like the first two slipknot records aren't too far off from some uh, underground uh death metal and grindcore records at least in terms of like like riffs and stuff like that yeah i i i could see that man um i mean slipknot is they they i guess they're new metal at the end of the day if you really want to categorize them but they're, they always were doing something a little special man you know and they always again you, you know, maybe that it all comes comes back to Slipknot. They they were wearing death metal and underground extreme music on their sleeve a lot more than anyone before them. I think who who grew to those heights and the, and it just clicked in the late '90s and early 2000s and and forward with them. You know, maybe that's why a band like Gatekeeper doesn't have to compromise on death metal. You know, maybe they're just good at making catchy death metal and 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 rocking a big show. And they, you know, so they don't have to, you know, you know, maybe, maybe because of that, they don't have to disguise as something like put death metal riffs in like a concoction of something else. Maybe Slipknot broke down some of those walls where they're not looking for a, you know, a PR guy and, and, um, you know, a, a producer to take a, you know, a death metal band and make them into something else anymore. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. So, uh, but. Um, but yeah, shout to you, man, for, for, um, uh, inviting me to that, man. I'm glad I went, uh, yes, man. I, I, I got fucked up. Um, and moving forward, you did give me a great recommendation. Um, I feel like we got enough time to squeeze that in. Yeah. Uh, if we have time, I do have one more question about, uh, okay. Your, your, your hate breed concert experience. So, okay. Shoot. Can you allegedly tell me if there was any uh, Nassau Suffolk sightings last night. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> you know, a couple of, like, low-key ones, like just guys shoving past, you know, the crowd, but I'm I'm wondering, I, I think that might have been me. I think I might have been the Nassau Suffolk guy last night because, okay, here we go. Who was your, <laughs> who was your friend... And you said something about like, oh, Rocco wears sweatsuits. Will knows about that, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That that was uh, Jimmy from Draw the Line. Shout out Jimmy Longspaw. I apologize, Long to Island him. legend. Yeah. <laughs> I look allegedly. I allegedly. I, I, I. There's allegations out there that I had an edible. I don't want to address them, but I will say this: I'm not alleging anything. Yeah, against you. I, I, um, I definitely, I definitely chewed your friend's ear off about about Rockaway sweatsuits for a couple of minutes. There, man, I had to back off for a minute, man. I was just trying to tell him I'm 40 years old. You got to switch to Reebok eventually. Like at a certain point in your life, you can do Echo. You can do Reebok, a little Sean John Valor if you if you're feeling flashy, but when you hit a certain age, uh, you just gotta like pick Reebok. Um, if you're doing well for yourself, maybe maybe Polo. I don't know, but you know the big and tall stores are there, and you just gotta just gotta invest in a good good quality sweatsuit um, every once in a while that maybe isn't associated uh, with a hip hop artist from from 20 years ago. You know, 
But I would still rock G-Unit if I found it in my size. Yeah, I, I feel like that kind of stuff's harder to come around in the wild these days. It's like people are probably reselling it thrifted for like $300 just because they, they they know it's out of print. And I'm sure there is still demand for it from some people. That's well, just shout to Justin from the from the podcast. He's, he's Justin doesn't doesn't come on the show uh, audibly much anymore, but he's always behind the scenes helping us with the graphic design and stuff, man. Big shout to Jay Wall. He uh, was in a period for a while where he was collecting like old school death metal, like blue grape death shorts and things like that from way back. I, in the I, day. I think I saw him rocking like a white Gorga Erosion of Sanity shirt that I, 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 I uh, considered stealing off him, like just right there. But uh, I, I had to stop myself. I was hating on him at the time. I, I cracked a few jokes on him at the, during the podcast. Probably why he doesn't come on the podcast anymore. I, I made fun of Justin a lot. I bullied him a little. Um, but he was into that game. So basically my new plan is I'm going to take Justin out to a buffet. I'm going to get him very fat. Uh, and he's going to start buying like Echo and Rockaware, like, like from like the, the wire era. Remember that show, the wire that's, yeah, yeah. That, that was my, basically my fashion consultant for like 2001 through 2010 was like Burlington Coat Marshalls at the time, not Burlington Coat Factory Marshalls. And if anybody remembers, I think it was called A&E or A&W someplace out by the, uh, um, now it's the Massapequa, um, DMV, the Sunrise Mall. The, it's the DMV out there. But it used to be a oh. it used to be like a, a a very ghetto clothing place where a guy like me buys his sweatsuits, um, many years ago by a liquor store. Oh God, we're we're going off the rails here. But I owe your friend an apology. I was a, I was a little punishing last night. I may have been the Nassau Suffocus. I was junior last night. <laughs> uh. Uh, so something tells me I, I I don't think he he would have minded. But okay. uh, well, tell tell yeah, him. I, I'm I'm sure you guys will run into each other at, at at a show. If him or anybody else wants to holler at me about sweatsuits behind the scenes, it's heavy whole podcast at gmail dot com. I'll set you up. I know more about death. I know more about sweatsuits than death metal. Actually, at this point, I'm I'm going to start another podcast. Um, bing bong, right? Yeah, bing bong. <laughs> but um, if you're ready to move on to Lord Belial. Um, we, yeah, yeah. The, the, I see. I just spilled the beans. I spilled the Belial. Did on spill that the beans on me? Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm gonna clean up these beans real quick. But uh, yeah. That 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 was my my new recommendation of the week is uh the the album called Rapture by the Swedish band Lord Belial. Okay. All right. And uh, yeah. The, the, this album came on my radar like not too long ago. I've uh I've been familiar with the band more so for their 90s output uh mostly for me chasing the the dragon of dissection what one of my all-time favorite bands uh you you know how it goes you you get obsessed with the band and then you try to find all the you know the the, the copycats and the the sound alikes from from the scene and whatnot i mean i want to call these guys copycats of dissection but uh in in the 90s there was definitely uh a scene around uh, no fashion records. Uh, I believe that they, they were a Swedish label, but they had a bunch of Swedish bands that, you know, all, all kind of, uh, you know, like ho- hovered around that uh, melodic death metal influenced uh, black metal sound. Uh, I, I would say Lord Belial's most notable record in the 90s was Enter the Moonlight Gate from 97 but i i was just so impressed with uh their 2022 album rapture just like 
how true it is to their sound and like how they weren't really uh bogged down by like modern uh production styles uh like i i i feel like there's you know bands legacy bands that are like still putting out stuff where it's like you know the the like stylistically it's like still kind of there but it's like that you know they just aren't working with like the same producer they were working with uh from the 90s or whatever and you know they, they just kind of like lose the magic of the sound but uh not not the case here like i, I would say rapture is that just as strong as some of their late 90s records and uh i i think that might have a lot to do with the fact that uh andy larock of king diamond fame was uh responsible for recording mixing and mastering this album huh wow that, yeah, I agree. Um, I didn't know everything you said, but I agree it, 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 with uh, the idea of comparing this a little bit to dissection. I, you know, I didn't want to just jump in off the bat because, especially with black metal, people know I'm not like a big black metal guy. I like a lot of it, um, but definitely not enough of it to like you know profess that I'm an expert or something. Uh, this, as I was listening to it, I'm not familiar with Lord Belial. I know it's a big band from back in the day that has a following. I've read about them in some of these books, but I've, I, you know, I haven't actually sat down with some of their albums, even the classic ones. Now I want to, because I do love Dissection, and I, I own Dissection albums, obviously, and, and have enjoyed that for years now. And this struck me as something that was maybe a similar flavor in some ways of of black metal or death metal influence black metal or black metal influence death metal however you want to put it with that kind of also very musical kind of flashy uh metal from, from like 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 a kind of an 80s metal shred element to it oh totally you like, like, like a, almost like an iron maiden vibe where there, there's like a you know there's acoustic guitars and whatnot like pianos and stuff like it's uh yeah there's like a little bit of like a gothic like neoclassical kind of vibe to kind of accompany the, the the heavier parts of the music yeah really dark and and interesting and metal like it, it, this was cool shit i'm gonna spend a little bit more time with this album and maybe backtrack into their catalog when i have some some uh uh, recreation time, um, musically speaking, man. Uh, but yeah, cool recommendation and a band that I kind of have, like I said, I've skipped over a little bit over the years. I can't, you know, I, I haven't heard every band ever. Sorry. Um, but I do the best I can. Contrary to popular belief, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> I do the best I can, but this is also great. This is like, uh, we were joking around at the top talking about you and Rick and Terrell, different co-hosts, but it's great for me because I've kind of let you guys, and uh, and Dave Gladding um, take over the the recommendations um, for the most part. I still bring a few in here and there because it also you know I learned something new. And this is a band that I totally wasn't familiar with and had always just kind of like left in my peripheral vision. Um, cool album. I, th I think you said it all when it comes to describing the sound and giving a little context to the history of the band. And it, it's you're right. It sounds great. It sounds. I don't know if modern's the right word because it sounds crisp and clear, but it doesn't have that modern sterile kind of quality. So it's a, it's, yeah, it's just works. 100%. Totally works, man. Sick recommendation. Hell yeah.
Thank you, Tom, for uh, bringing that in and out for the listeners, man. We appreciate you. Um, and uh, corporate giants, Gatekeeper and Hatebreed, have squeezed out the other recommendations tonight. So we only have one recommend. I'm just kidding, man. Those guys had nothing to do with it. Don't hate on them. Don't hate breed on them. But um, we did have a lengthy conversation about that. I hope the listeners enjoyed accompanying us to a Hatebreed and Gatekeeper concert. Um, I'm remaining open-minded and objective about the two bands that opened because i wasn't there so i'll i'll leave that for another time all right and there if they that's fair if they opened up that that concert they're still doing better than me but they're they're opening up so they're probably you know they're eating a little more shit too so i'll i'll let them live all right but um shout shout to them man i hope they're stealing cases of water every night and counting those drink tickets as they should be yeah um we got, speaking of counting drink tickets and stealing cases of water, Sam, this episode comes out according to plan. Big shout out to Tom behind the scenes helping me out with all that. Um, people could still catch us if they got the early bird special on this podcast. If it's still the 11th of November uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee, at the Brickyard with uh, Carrie and Vale and Hath uh, in our band Reeking Aura, we're 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 everywhere. We're on, we're in Nashville and we're here in your podcast. Yeah, we have a lot of cases of water to steal during that uh, <laughs> week or so. What we're going to be on the road? We're, well, I figure it's like five shows. We're going to come home with like cases of water and you know uh, napkins and jellies from the diner. We're going to be like over prepared when we come back. But it's better to be over prepared than under prepared. Um, Absolutely. And the twelfth of November, we're going to be in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, at the Shred Shed. Um, shout out to our friend Vicky up there and everybody else we know in the Pittsburgh area. Looking forward to being up in the hills again. Walking up. Yeah, shout out. Yeah, yeah, v- Vicky's awesome. Uh, I haven't been to Pittsburgh in a minute, so, and I don't think I've ever played there, so I- I'm definitely hyped to uh, get out there. Yeah, I'm just looking for. I-, I enjoy Pittsburgh. It's got a um. It's got a lot of a lot of cool kind of like it reminds me a little bit of uh, like when you go upstate um, to maybe Rochester or Buffalo and there's kind of like these old industrial buildings and it's just just got a, a lot of kind of blue collar uh, labor history I guess we should say um, definitely a part of the Rust Belt yeah I, I, I would say that's what I'm looking for here the Rust Belt that's what they call it man so I just always always interested to see things like that there's parts of Long Island that are a little bit like that you know in a way. Um, that they haven't turned into uh, condos yet. Anyway, that's that's yeah, Kings Park or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like we were talking about before, Pilgr- Pilgrim State Psychiatric Center. If the listeners uh, want to Google Kings Park Psychiatric Center or um, Pilgrim State Hospital, that's that's those are fun wormholes to go down. Um, yeah, but if, if you go, don't tell them that we sent you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't tell them Heavy Hole Podcast sent you. The only place that you can tell them we sent you is if you check us out on your uh, your social medias uh, on Patreon, Heavy Hole Podcast at Gmail dot com, or leave us a friendly voicemail, or an angry voicemail, or just a, a a neutral voicemail. Just leave us like a perfectly neutral tone recommendation. You don't care if we listen to it or not. I, you know, whatever you want to do, or, or l- l- like an unhinged, like schizophrenic, like heavy breathing uh, voicemail. I feel like it's been a while since there's been one of those. Well, that you know about. We, we there's a few yeah. that we haven't. There's, there's a few that we haven't aired. <laughs> there's a few that haven't made the podcast over the years. There's still one that we're trying to decipher the uh, the vocal effect to see what they said, man. We don't want to put out any any coded messages or anything, man. These people are crazy out there with the vocal effects. Um, 
But yeah, shout shout to everybody out there, man. Leave us a voicemail or email or drop us a, a line somewhere, man. We appreciate you out there, man. And also big shout to Ed Mowry um of uh <laughs> this gets me every time. Ed Ed Mowry of Tiwanaku. Of Tiwana you know what it is? It's Tiwanaku. And, and Tiwanaku. I, Tiwanaku. And I, and I cannot pronounce it other than in the voice of Tony Soprano. Uh, just that's just my gift, I guess. But shout out to Ed Mowry, regardless. We hope you check out his new album. It is a beautiful album of complex uh and I'll use the word progressive death metal. Um that I would say goes beyond what you might think, but is definitely palatable if you're a fan of Nocturnus. Um, so not just a throwback project, but it delivers in that respect too, man. So big shout out to Ed Mowry. We appreciate his time. Um, I appreciate Gate Creeper and Hatebreed's time coming to Huntington, Long Island. That was nice of them to do. They could have just stopped in, in the city somewhere and said peace, you know. Definitely, but I, I, I think it benefited both parties. I, I I think it was good as good for them as it was for us. Wow. Okay, man. <laughs> yeah, and shout to yo know, if if Chase or Jamie Josta uh, want to come on the podcast, man, it's their world. The ball's in their court. Okay. Yeah. Shout out to them. <laughs> Balling like Jim Jones said um, <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, man. And Sam, thank you very much to you. Uh, not only just for getting me into that show yesterday, uh, but also for your recommendation and your candor, man. It's been real. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Of of course, man. And um, when it comes to uh, uh, a uh, big corporate uh festival theme festival metal adjacent themed event i'm definitely looking for the next one